This is the last in the amazing series of unforced rhythms that David's been taking us through. It's unfortunate that he's not here to talk about submission, but uh, in seeking to be submissive and uh, serving as my senior colleague, I agreed to stand in. And if you have been uh, just picking up this series, you may be interested to lay hold of a copy of this. Many of the uh, talks have been covering t titles that are uh, chapters that are in this book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Dawn Whitney. It's a fantastic book. And we bought several hundred of them, I think. And this is the last one that's for sale. So if you want it, come and see me afterwards. And if you haven't got it, uh, we can point you in the right direction to where you can get it. Today is Holocaust Memorial Day. I'm sure some of you know that, when the world remembers millions murdered by the Nazis during the Second World War, six million European Jews. And it's also about remembering those who did not submit to the cruel oppressors and saved many other hundreds and thousands of lives through their resistance. It seems appropriate to introduce the last in our series of Unforced Rhythms with a note of caution. And submission is a central theme for discipleship and through scripture. But Richard Foster, who has written that book, Celebration of Discipline, introduces this theme with these words of all the spiritual disciplines. None has been more abused than the discipline of submission. I'm not equating this with the scale of evil in the Holocaust, but on such a day when we recall the potential for human abuse and mistreatment and harm, we must work our way through this discipline with care and wisdom to ensure that we're not pushing one another towards death, but towards life. And that's what I hope together we're able to glean from this a sense of the life-giving God who wants to set us uh, in a place where we receive from him everything that is life-giving. Richard Foster goes on to say, somehow the human species has an extraordinary knack of taking the best teaching and turning it to the worst ends. Nothing can put people into bondage like religion, and nothing in religion has done more to manipulate and destroy people than a deficient teaching on submission. So, Lord, I need you, oh, I need you, is a very appropriate prayer for me and for all of us as we think about this subject. And what I'd like to do is look at the intention or the purpose of biblical submission and some of the understandings that can arise when we're seeking to follow Jesus, obey his call to deny ourselves as we follow him. And also what this discipline looks like. How do we practice it? How do we grow through it? 
I've pulled together a couple of passages from 1 Peter. They'll be on the screen, but I'd like to read them and then pray that we would be uh, obedient to them. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to command to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. And then in chapter 5, starting at verse 5, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. This is God's word. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Today, Lord, we receive this as light to our path and desire to be taught by this word of God. So Holy Spirit, speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Peter says a lot about submission, but his call is to live as free people. Did you pick that up in this passage? It's a central theme throughout the New Testament and the intention of biblical submission is very clear. So just in this, as in this series, it's not about the discipline, but it's about the effects. As we look at this subject, it's not about the submission. It's about what flows from it. And the purpose of this clearly is godliness. That's our overall desire as we're searching these disciplines and seeking to put ourselves in the place where God can bless us and meet us and use us. And as we do this for submission, we're putting ourselves in this place where godliness will be wrought in us. But the intention of submission is freedom. 
Luther, when he was writing tracts before the Reformation, wrote one, a very short tract you can see on, online, called Freedom for the Christian, or Freedom of the Christian. And he says this, a Christian is perfectly free, Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. These two theses seem to contradict each other, but both are Paul's statements. 1 Corinthians 9, 19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all. And that's the paradox. The paradox here is that Christians are free through submission. How does that sound? What does that look like? How do we get our heads around this apparent contradiction, this paradox where we're submitting for freedom? It certainly completely contradicts the views of the majority of people today. And to be honest, I find it personally confusing and difficult to understand and to apply and to believe and to trust It is difficult to figure out how I can give myself away, how I can submit myself and find freedom. And when we look around in this culture, it defines freedom as free from, not talking about foods, but it's a way of expressing freedom where we want to be set free. It means being free from any commitments or restrictions or promises. That's freedom for many people. To the degree that I'm serving somebody or obeying somebody or keeping a promise, to that degree, I'm not free because it cuts all my options off. I'm constrained. Ben Fogel's Channel 5 series New lives in the wild follows people who free themselves from the rat race and the restrictions of rules and money. Fascinating. I love watching these kind of programs. We love the idea of these free spirits who set themselves out into a situation where they feel there's no constraints, no promises, no commitments, no restrictions. But we hear a radically different message from Jesus, who, when he announced his ministry in Luke chapter 4, said he's come to proclaim freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And what Jesus' message was, was not new lives in the wild, but it was about being freed from a form of slavery. What enslaves us is not the rat race or the commitments to family or society, but the captivity that makes us slaves to sin. So let's dig into this and see what freedom comes from submission. What kind of freedom is it? 
that exists in your life and mine when we submit to God and to our neighbor as an expression of being free. One person who's written about this, about his own journey in this direction said, for to be free is not merely to cast off one's chains, but to live in a way that respects and enhances the freedom of others. And Nelson Mandela wasn't just expressing one person's ideal liberty. It engages with the world where we relate to everybody else around us. It's not escapism of new lives in the wild. It says freedom involves more than my self-expression. This series covers spiritual disciplines that are both personal and interpersonal. And as we come together as church, our lives rub up against one another. And we relate to everybody else. We're in it together. For all of the dangers, we as church need to learn to submit together to one another. And it must involve more than one person. By definition of this discipline, it is mutual. So here's one aspect of freedom. The ability to lay down the terrible burden of always needing to get our own way. Do you recognize that? Some people think freedom is pressing my will on others being determined to get what we want as if it was a life and death issue. That's the way I want it. Don't give me anything else. I might say, well, I've got my standards. I've worked very hard for this. And I deserve to have things the way I want them. I haven't noticed much of that here, but it does exist. And it leaves me maybe struggling. When you see that at work, the result might be an ulcer or worse, isolation. Is that freedom? Free from the constraints of others can result in a very lonely life. But this freedom is not about abandoning what is of primary importance. There are important things we should not abandon, but letting go of needing to have my own way, of reaching the place where it no longer controls me, and I can walk away from it, and it's okay. Only submission can free us enough to see the difference between real issues and stubborn self-will. And that's the call that this discipline makes on us. On the other hand, you might say, well, actually, I don't really care. I don't care what way things are. I'm happy with anything. And yet, when you hear people say that, when I say that, what we really mean, 
what's obvious by how we say it is actually we care a great deal and it does matter and I like it this way and really you're putting me out quite a bit by not having it this way. So the biblical teaching on submission focuses not so much on the outward but in the spirit with which we view other people. The Bible doesn't give us a whole hierarchy of relationships of how society should work. What it does give us is an attitude of mutual submission, of serving one another. And so 1 Peter chapter 2, slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also those who are harsh. Slaves were to live in submission to masters. But hold on a minute, what are the options there? If you're a slave, you're bound to your master. Is that not right? It may seem to be stating the obvious, but it's possible to obey somebody without living in a spirit of submission. Children can respond to their parents' instructions with fine Try not to make any impressions there. But it is, it's not their way. And what they're really saying is, I'm doing this because you told me to, not because I want to do it. It's fine. I'll clean my room. And this is the hard attitude that Jesus addressed. He was going below the surface and said, I want you to serve one another. Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. And Jesus addressed this hard issue in the Sermon on the Mount as he challenged the views of people as they looked at Old Testament's laws. Repeatedly he said, you have heard it said, but I say unto you, do not murder. Jesus stressed the real issue was the inner spirit of wanting somebody dead. And the call from Jesus is to a spirit of consideration and respect that we have for other people. So in submission, we're released from the burden of needing to have our own way. And we choose to live in submission with a spirit of respect and consideration. Even when the boss or the authority figure is not considerate to us. So that's freedom. before looking at how we exercise it and how do we develop it. Here's a few distortions. Can you think of how submission goes wrong? When submission conjures up notions of groveling, something's gone wrong. When submission conjures up ideas of self-hatred, something's gone terribly wrong. When submission makes us imagine the rejection of who we are, of our identity, then something has gone terribly wrong. Because submission is not relinquishing of our identity or our dignity, or our purpose, 
or our gifts. It is a release. George Matheson, the Scottish preacher, who has written a few other hymns, and I'm just trying to remember one of the most famous ones that, uh, can anybody remember a hymn that George Matheson wrote? Uh, it's on the tip of my tongue, but it's not gonna come to me anyway, it doesn't matter. Love that will not let me go. Thank you, Dorothea. Yeah. But he also wrote about this paradox, and here's a, a hymn that he penned about self-fulfillment through self-denial. Make me a captive, Lord, and then I shall be free. Force me to render up my sword, and I shall conqueror be. I sink in life's alarms when by myself I stand. Imprison me within thy arms, and strong shall be my hand. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that a call to something that independence and self-determination will never give? Jesus' call for submission without self-hatred. To lose our life for Christ's sake is to save it. And submission doesn't mean a loss of identity where we become a nameless being. Force me to render up my sword and I shall conquer be. So as we think about what these things aren't, self-denial and self-love are not in conflict. Amazingly, we begin to discover by giving ourselves away, we're released from self-pity because we are not the center of attention and we're saved from self-indulgence and we don't need to go down that track of having to prove ourselves. So there's the possibility of the wrong kind of submission and there's also with it the possibility of the right kind of resistance. You see that as the early church enacts, we're told not to do things. There are limits when the properly authorized government commanded the church to stop proclaiming Christ. It was Peter who said, we must obey God rather than men. When Paul saw how the state was failing to fulfill its God-ordained function of providing justice for all, he called it to account, and he insisted that a wrong we put right. You can see that in Acts 16, when he was hauled before the crowd, Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now, do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. So, on Holocaust Memorial Day, many Christians reaffirm limits and refuse to deviate from the directions of Scripture or conscience. And when these limits are clear, we refuse by saying we must obey God rather than men, not arrogantly, as if we're above authority, but in a spirit of meekness and submission. So what is the intention of biblical submission is for freedom. As much as for our own ego, as for our good and the good of others. It's freedom. And there's misunderstandings of the call of Jesus to deny ourselves. It's not a denial of who we are or whose you are. 
But what does this discipline mean? What is the practice of this discipline? How can it grow? One of the most perfect illustrations, I think, in the New Testament of radical submission is found in Paul's letter to Philemon. That one chapter, Onesimus, a runaway slave who had become a Christian and he was returning voluntarily to his old master, Philemon, as part of what it meant for him to be a disciple of Christ. And Paul urges Philemon to welcome Onesimus, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother. And this amounts to Paul instructing Philemon to voluntarily set Onesimus free. So Onesimus was to be subordinate to Philemon by returning to him, and Philemon was to be subordinate to Onesimus by setting him free. And both were to be mutually subordinate out of reverence for Christ. What a picture of submission of the church, of how we treat one another, whatever our background, whatever the history. I think it is this place where we come together with all sorts of stories and we accept and submit ourselves to one another. This is the new order for disciples of Christ in the church. It's universal submission. How do we do this? Well, Richard Foster lists seven different acts of submission. And I'm going to leave these with you without spending an awful lot of time on them, but they provide a practical guide as how we seek to live each day saying, not my will be done, but yours. And so how do we submit day by day and to whom do we submit? First, Richard Foster says we submit to God, to the triune God. It was Thomas Akempis who invites us to offer our mind and body and spirit to God with these words, as thou wilt, what thou wilt, when thou wilt, as thou wilt, what thou wilt, when thou wilt. And at the beginning of each day, if we can submit ourselves to God with those words, we can voluntarily say, not your will, but mine be done. I love the words that David introduced to us a couple of years ago, this, the prayer that John Stott used every morning of his life where he began with a Trinitarian offering of himself in similar ways, saying, Creator God, may this day I live in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus Christ, today may I take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you would fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. And so at the beginning and throughout the day and at the end of the day, we first of all submit ourselves to the triune God, creator God. May I live today in your presence and please you in all that I do. That's my highest calling. And second act of submission is to scripture. 
as we submit ourselves to the living word of Christ, which is Jesus, so we submit ourselves to the living word of God, which is the scriptures. And if you've been here over the last series, you'll know that we've been listening to it, reading it, studying it, memorizing it, meditating upon it. It is so central to this life that we have, this word of God anointed by the Holy Spirit lives with us. And we say, this is God's word. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. And today we receive this as, as light for our path and desire to be taught by it. So to God, to God's word, and the third act of submission, according to Richard Foster, is to our family. Does that surprise you? Jesus warned religious leaders against time and resources that families need being treated or traded as a gift for God. He said, don't do that. Do not betray your families with some korban as if you're honoring God by ignoring your family. And so we submit to one another in our families. We listen to one another. We make allowance for one another. We build in time. There are times where I struggle to spend time with my dad. And so every Monday we arrange to have soup and rolls together. And there's all sorts of other things that can easily squeeze in that seem to be more important. But they're not. And I submit to my family and say that's a high calling for me as a servant of Christ. And the fourth is to our neighbors and those people that we meet every day, the people that we work with, people across the street, submission might look simply like being good to them, being caring, if they're in need, we help them. If we can be kind, we will do. Some small act of neighborly kindness might seem insignificant, but each one is an opportunity to live in submission where we live, where God has placed us. And the fifth is to the body of Christ, to look around us and see what needs to be done, to say, I'm not here as a consumer, I'm here as a servant. I'm here to submit. I'm here to be part of this body and ask if there are needs to be done, are they God's invitation for me to submit some of what I am to serve others? We can't do everything, but we can all do some things. And the sixth act of submission is to the broken and despised. In every community there are people who are the helpless and the undefended. And James makes it very clear in James 1.27 that our responsibility is to be among them, to not cut them out of our lives. A couple of us have just an opportunity tomorrow morning to do that. And I know in my own heart I'm saying, I don't really need to do this. I'm not able to change very much. I might just be with somebody who's in need. I won't be able to change their circumstances. And yet if I'm unprepared 
to identify with the despised and the broken and the needy. I'm not submitting to what Christ has called me to. And the last, the seventh, is an act of submission to the world. So those are seven submissions that Richard Foster suggests should be part of our act of submission to Christ. The needs of the world affect every one of us. We can't live in isolation. My environmental responsibility of the lack or the lack of it affects not only people around the world today, but those who follow us as yet unborn, and even the world itself. But as we finish coming back to Second Peter, in the middle of his instructions about submission, Peter appeals to the example of Jesus as the reason why we do this. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. This is the posture that we're called to for all Christians, men as well as women, fathers as well as children, masters, bosses, as well as slaves, employees. And the reason why we're commanded to live a life of submission is because Jesus lived a life of submission. The rationale in Peter's day had nothing to do with status or order in society. That may well have been how society was structured because a slave was a slave. He had no option. But those people who in first century culture had no choice were addressed as people who were free to choose. That's how Peter wrote to them. Peter made decision makers of people who were forbidden to make decisions. And he affords the dignity of people to submit. And our world is different, but the call is no less radical. In a world where asserting independence and personal rights is mandatory, we're called to freely set those down and to choose to live as those who are truly free. So let me finish with this. A couple of steps. Don't be afraid to make commitments. Don't be afraid to make promises. Why should you make promises? In 1 Peter 5, verse 5, we're told, submit to elders. What does that mean? I think it means join a church. When you make a promise, you join a church, you say, I'm going to serve God, I'm going to serve these people, I'm going to serve what God is doing in this place, and you're making a promise. You're putting yourself into that place of submission to serve others, obey God, and give yourself to God purposes for that church. And be careful that they are God's purposes when you choose a church, that you see people who are mutually submitting to one another and not building their own empire, but make promises. And when you do, 
you'll find freedom that's not lost. And lastly, look to Jesus. Chapter four, the previous chapter begins, therefore, since Christ suffered in the body, arm yourselves with the same attitude. Here's an invitation to freedom. To freedom from the inner master of sin. But it calls you to trust God. So don't be afraid to make promises and don't be afraid to trust God. And the more I submit to being his trusting servant, the more I am willing to say, thy will be done, the more I get released from the slavery of sin. He lost his freedom that I might be free. So trust him. Amen.